This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You are listening to Trumpets Time. Welcome to Trumpets Time Podcast, brought to you today by Summer's f1.co.uk making f1 tech easier to understand today's episode is called spanners will never stay awake for all that i'm your host matt trumpets and i'm joined today by mist apex director richard spanners ready well i'm just here so that you've got someone to talk to we do have someone else as well, but also to voice my objection to Trumpet's time in general. Because normally, Matt, I keep you on a tight leash for the shows and I stop you ruining my content with your innate Trumpet's waffling. However, the patrons have spoken. We gave them the option to fund you in your Trumpet's time adventure. And they emphatically said that, yes, you waffling on is valid. Who knew? Who knew? You know, different things for different people, I guess. As we like to say over here, whatever floats your boat. And I'm glad many boats are being floated by this show. But if you do want to support us, go to www.mistapexpodcast.com and click the support us tab. Groovy. This week, we're going to take a look at who might yet drive for Toro Rosso at Coda. Talk even more about whether or not Mercedes really cured all their ills. And we speculate endlessly about the big announcements coming at the end of the month from Liberty regarding not only the 2020 engine regs, but also, and you can say the word gasp here if you like, cost caps in the sport. That's right. Big changes are coming. And I should remind you, we are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before Monday Commute. We might be wrong, but we are definitely first. And most importantly, this show is indeed safe for work. We are keeping it clean here so you can play this with the kids in the background or at work. And today, in order to help me with my waffling, I have brought along one of my favorite co-wafflers, Anil Parmar. How's it going, Anil? It's going very well, and I'm very excited to do my first uh, Trumpets time. Thank you for having me. I hope I hope I live up to your very high expectations. You said his name right as well. For four years now, I've been saying Anil Palmer, and you've never corrected me. Me or Anil? <laughs> well, no one's corrected me, but it is Palmer. So we will say it correctly from now on. Thank you. Groovy. Well, shall we get right to it then? Let's do it. Okay. So in the biggest, dirtiest news, we are now wondering aloud who might yet be driving for Toro Rosso at the next race, because Carlos Sainz is officially off to race for Renault. But it turns out that a certain Pierre Gasly actually drives for a Honda team in Super Formula, and they are kind of wanting to win some sort of championship this year, since 
apparently, I hear they're not going to win the Formula One championship. Anil, what have you heard? Well, the options are pretty small, really, for Toro Rosso. I saw an interview with uh, Helmut Marko, who's everybody's favorite person in the paddock. Um, and he, the option options were floated to him. He didn't seem very keen on uh, Jolyon Palmer, someone suggested. Uh, with Gasly going, there's not many people in the Red Bull ranks. Could they call back someone like Sebastian Buemi? I've seen a few people on Twitter suggest that. Uh, it's quite difficult because ultimately you're looking for a driver that has um, enough points and a super license. Um, but actually, there's there's not many to choose from because they've gotten rid of so many of their drivers. Yeah, and it's it's difficult uh, too. I mean, I, you really have to think uh, Buemi would be the best place and most experienced driver they could call up because he does he still does simulator work for them, does he not? He does, and he also competes in WEC, which also takes place at Cota, so he's familiar with the circuit. If they have an opportunity to basically trial a driver at Toro Rosso, this decision actually becomes quite important. It's not just a case of filling that seat. They really get a chance to look at someone over a full Grand Prix weekend. Uh, and Artemis um, X in the chat room is asking, does Buemi uh, even have a choice if they call him? Isn't he just under contract? Yeah, well, that was kind of the point I was going to make. Number one, he does drive the simulator. So presumably, should uh, Verstappen or Ricardo be taken ill, he would be the one most likely to step into that seat. So would he really want to irritate them by saying no and helping them out of a jam? And number two, he kind of does drive around with a Red Bull sponsorship. So if he wants to keep the money, I'm going to guess that he will politely say yes, regardless of his feelings, if they were to come knocking. What do you think, Anil? Yeah, I think he's by far the best option. He's a very good driver. Um, It's a bit strange that they're going to go into the next Grand Prix weekend with two different drivers, with Kvyat coming back as well. Just a bit of a roller coaster at Toro Rosso, but I think it'll be Buemi. Isn't there a limit to the amount of drivers they're allowed? I guess they're nowhere near that, but it's is it a four? Because I remember Kate, I think you're right. There's banners. I think yeah, it's four Kate per team per season. Sell a seat, didn't they? They sold drive to Lotterer, didn't they? And that that maxed out their driver allocation for the year. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, there there's a limit to drivers you can run the Grand Prix, and then I think you get an extra one or two that you can sell free practices to if you're really hard up for cash. Michael Evers is asking, what about Rossi? Rossi is an intriguing name. He doesn't have the experience of the Formula One cars, um, I guess, recently, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe. What what about that? He has the super license. So the last car he drove was the Manor back in 2015 with a year-old Ferrari engine. It's a bit of a step up with these regulations, a lot more aero, a lot more mechanical grip. But then again, it would be quite a good story. I guess it would drive up some inter- some local interest. Yes. Well, and sadly, the hype train that everyone has been on lately, Kubica, has been officially ruled out by his astute world championship winning manager, Neko Rosberg, um, supposedly because he simply would have too much to lo- lose over the course of a single weekend. Yeah, I really can't see Kubica take, taking that Um it wouldn't really make any sense because, again, if, if Rossi's not an option and Rossi's actually driven some race weekends in a Formula One hybrid car, it's really someone like Kubica needs a proper pre-season just to get up to fitness, to do proper race simulations. You don't want to throw him at the deep end. All the pressure would be on. It's, it's oh. best to start. It's best to get a proper pre-season when there's no media retention or less I media I retention. Don't know, Neil. I don't know, Neil. Gasly has jumped in to that Toro Rosso seat and looked like a Formula One driver, which shows you that if you have the talent and you're up to speed, then you can do it. Maybe not at the very highest level, but if you're telling me that Kibitza can't come in now to Toro Rosso and perform at the same level or close to Kvyat and look like a Grand Prix driver, chances are he's just never going to be ready. But with Gasly, there's less pressure because there's not as much attention on him. It's just Gasly. You know, if he does well, he does well. If not, he's going to get booted out. I think with Kubica, just as we say, there's the hype train, which we've spoken about. Mm-hmm. I think almost the media attention's almost got a bit too much. Um, I would like to see him there, but I think he's going to be in the Williams next year. Where, of course, on his return, there will be zero pressure whatsoever. Absolutely, Spanish. See, we're, we're, we're thinking exactly the same now. <laughs> because how could it be worse than Massa? Oops, sorry. Did I say that? All right. Well, anyway, uh, that's not really what we're here to talk about. What we're really here to talk about was the article today uh, in Automotor und Sport announcing leaking the details of the big Liberty announcement. And when I say big Liberty announcement, obviously, this is going to be FOM and FIA working together 
to guide the future of the sport? Because technically, the FIA is the one that has the say over all of these regulations. But they came out with a whole bunch of expected changes, probably like a trial balloon. And we're looking at new engines. We're talking about spec um, MGUK, MGUH. And theoretically, you could be an independent uh, manufacturer, show up with a V6 turbo and be able to sort of plug these things in. And so, Anil, what do you make of this? Is this a good idea? I think it's great. Um, I did see some criticism that the change wasn't extreme enough. I think a lot of people want to see your return to a V8, dare I say a V10. But I think we need to be honest, that's not going to happen. You can't stop with the kind of progress you've made. You can't stop the, the progress, as you say. And I think people need to kind of just grieve and mourn the pure combustion engines of the V8. Uh, v6 era it's not going to go back to ear splitting combustion engines it's just not going to happen right and i think ultimately the v6 given how much money the teams have invested in the technology to make them produce more horsepower they're not going to suddenly ditch a v6 or a v8 or a v10 um if you look at the issues with the current power unit they're very expensive they're not loud enough and I think it's fair to say, certainly of a race trim, they don't have a good enough horsepower to weight ratio because they're charging the errors. They're not pushing 100%. They need to get the power units to last five races. Next season, they've got three power units for the whole year. So they're really good. Yeah. So they're really going to be looking after the power units. What they want to do, and what I hope this regulation will allow, is allow the power unit. And I guess to do that, they'll increase the fuel flow. And Matt, you probably know a bit more about this, but they increase the fuel flow. The revs go higher. It's louder. Um, and yes, that means you technically need more engines the rest of the year. But if you're using spec parts, actually, the cost is it will still be cheap because you're buying spec parts, you're not developing those parts. What I want to see is just a much more powerful internal combustion engine. So when the driver puts his foot down on the throttle, he's really fighting all that horsepower. The car should never look planted. You know, these, these are the best drivers in the world. We want to see them fight. What will be interesting to see, though, is whether Renault, Honda, Ferrari and Mercedes, you know, what they think of these, because if they're spec parts, who's going to provide them? And for a lot of those companies, actually, they they use Formula One as um, an engineering, what's the word I'm looking for, bench test almost. They're trying to show off their technology, aren't they, as Mercedes have done so well. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what the repercussions are. Will we get quotes from a Toto Wolf or a, someone at Ferrari saying, we're not happy with this, we're going to veto it? So the problem is, isn't it, you're trying to create a level playing field. Well, why on earth would the two teams at the front who think they can dominate the rest of the field, Ferrari and Mercedes, agree to anything that will, will give a level playing field? Matt, you could probably, you speak to Summers all the time. How much of an advantage comes from a better MGU H and K and how much of it is the internal combustion engine? Well, I think you'd have to say right now it's a pretty tremendous advantage. Uh, and has been for Mercedes. I think Ferrari have pretty much caught them up or come close. And now, actually, they've been caught out really on the, um, uh, a bit perhaps on the internal combustion side, the turbulent jet ignition. Um, I think mostly because they had planned to rely more on the oil burning, also cooling the combustion chamber, and the regulation change really caught them out. In a way, they were too far ahead with their last spec engine to be able to easily um, redesign it or have the time to redesign it. And I think that's why they kept on pushing the introduction back. It may not have just been the 3D printed cylinder head they were talking about. I think it might have also been more fundamental cooling issues and packaging issues. And you can see that potentially playing out in situations like we just had at Suzuka. But I want to loop back to Anil and talk about the engines and the specs. And here's what we had going into it, just to remind everybody that all of the manufacturers, Honda, Renault, um, Ferrari, and Mercedes, all um, did not want to ditch, did not want to ditch at all the MGUH, which has been the most difficult to master technology. The only team that wanted to ditch it was Red Bull. They are the ones who wanted to go back to the V8s and the simpler technology because they wanted an independent partner. If Honda wasn't going to get the job done, they wanted the option of an independent partner. And I think going into it, that was a sticking point. And I think if you look at something like the proposal for spec parts, then I think realistically what you're looking at is they're laying the groundwork for Red Bull to team up with Illion or Cosworth or some other independent engine manufacturer 
and and be able to get really what they want because uh Red Bull is always very specific about what they want from an engine and uh that doesn't always work out very well. Um I'm sure you could talk to the people at Renault about that at length. Yeah, I agree completely. If I was if I was in charge of a manufacturer that was not yet in Formula 1 and I saw these regulations, I would be thinking, right, we need to get into the sport. But as an existing team member, or as an existing team, when you've invested so much money and you keep using the term road relevance, then you do not want a spec part. Um, I, I hope it doesn't get too political. But one thing that was also mentioned in this same article, Matt, is that the strategy group is actually, they're getting rid of the strategy group. Now, in the past, the teams have had a lot of power because if if a, if a rule wants to be introduced, the teams vote on it. And as Spanish said earlier, why would Mercedes or Ferrari vote on something that they don't want? Well, and if if it's true that that's being taken away from them, then actually they're not going to have not going to have they won't be able to do anything. What I hope is that this doesn't take over the end of season kind of. Um, it's not all over the Formula One news. We don't keep hearing about it in the off season because the politics is part of Formula One. But I hope it doesn't create too much negativity. Um, I think ultimately they've it seems like they're making the right choices. Another thing that they said in the story was that they were thinking of having a second MG UK at the front axle, so to have four-wheel drive, but actually yeah. there wasn't going to be enough performance from that to offset the weight. Now, that's the way I read into that, and maybe it's just the translation, but because obviously it's a, it's a German article, but they, they want the cars to have a better horsepower-to-weight ratio. I read a, a, a quote from Toto Wolff a few months ago in the same publication that said, they want Formula One cars to have the same horsepower to weight ratio as MotoGP. And in order to do that with the current power units, the ICE will need three to 400 more horsepower, which is you know really significant. So it goes to show you that the thinking's on the right line, but it's going to be very interesting to see how the teams react because I think it's going to start off being quite negative. And I think for a lot of fans, a lot of fans will just say, it's too complicated. Let's just have a V8 and a, and a Kurs. So Philip Allen in the chat room makes a good point. How much will spec parts save on the power unit money-wise? I can't see it being that significant. If a spec part fails, who takes the penalty? That's great questions. Right. Well, I think the spec parts are not necessarily meant to save the teams all that much money. Because if you look at the end of uh, 2018 sporting regulations, what if you were a team without a power unit and you're forced to be assigned to a manufacturer that manufacturer can only charge you $12 million for a season's worth of power units. And that's based on what teams are paying right now. What it's meant to do and what these regulations were originally meant to do was reduce the uh, spend by the engine manufacturers. And I think the spec parts, the entire point of the spec parts is to allow independent uh, engine manufacturers to be able to come into the sport and be able to afford to come into the sport. And and their worry is with nothing but manufacturers. You might wind up with a situation like WEC has this year, where literally everybody but Toyota has bailed. We we see the manufacturers right now saying three teams is really the max we can afford. We've got 10 teams on the grid. They want more teams. They're going to need a Honda could do two more teams. But if, if you're going to want 30 cars on the grid, then you're going to need someone else to be able to make engines and to be able to make affordable engines. And I would think, Anil, that although the parts are spec, that doesn't necessarily mean they're all going to be available just from a single sole manufacturer. It could either be a consortium between Mercedes, Ferrari. It could be a consortium of all the current builders. Mercedes might offer a solution. Ferrari might offer a solution separately. And then the engine manufacturer could choose which one best fit their architecture and and or the packaging that they want. I never actually thought of it like that. When I first read this, I assumed the way I was thinking about it was like a Cosworth just producing two parts and everyone has the same one. Although you do raise a very good point, actually, if two or three teams produce their own MGUH, MGUKs, and actually the performance was the same, and I guess there'd have to be a way of almost guaranteeing that, actually a red bull or a williams could pick pick and pick and choose which ones they wanted but how you manage the performance then becomes another issue so i remember the curs was supposed to be basically the same for everyone but they always said that mercedes had a slightly better curs than a renault or ferrari or whatever so i think i think we're most likely going to end up with one or two solutions uh, but preferably one because otherwise you're going to get this whole conversation around 
well, this one's better, this one's better, it hasn't been managed correctly. And then you create this kind of spiral of negativity around the whole um, spec parts discussion. Indeed, but that's not all they're going to be getting rid of. They're also supposedly going to be doing, uh, be putting the cars on a serious aero reduction plan. This is like the best news ever. Um, I've seen the current F1 cars at Barcelona and at Silverstone, the 2017 spec. The cornering speeds are incredible, but they look on rails, which is not a good thing. They, they look easy to drive. I know they're physically challenging in terms of, da- in terms of the G-forces the drivers are exposed to, but given that they can't race up close and they're so sensitive with those front wings and given that the cars look on rails, I think it's clear that they want to, with Ross Braun, try and create cars that can race closer and still deliver competitive lap times. Formula One needs to be the fastest, but the error needs to be done in the right way. I was watching the 2007 clips of Alonso being very frustrated trying to overtake this young upstart. And immediately it was so apparent how much closer they could follow and how on every corner they were nudging uh, getting their nose in now what we find that is if a car is that close it means they're going to overtake because the only way they can overcome that aero deficit and that aero wash i think lewis hamilton said in japan you had to have a delta of 1.5 seconds so if someone is close enough to the car like we saw in 2007 they are going to overtake so that really hampers the racing the only reason to get close is if you have that big delta and you know you're going to overtake otherwise you just stay back and you save your tires and you hope something else happens. So I, th- I think this is long overdue. We've got to find a way for them to be able to just get up close. It's been getting increasingly worse. I know F1's kind of always been like that, but it hasn't always been like this. Indeed. And uh, also a funny but true story, uh, and this comes from talking with Summers, is that uh, part of these engine regulations were aimed at simplifying the aero by reducing the amount of money the teams had to spend on it. But instead, the teams, much like deciding you're going to buy a very expensive house to reduce your credit card spend, and then deciding what you're really going to do is just go out and get another credit card and keep on spending that much plus your new mortgage payment. This is kind of what's happened a little bit. And I think with the exit of the strategy group, about which I could not be happier, at least as long as Braun is in charge of the engineering side of it. Um, I think this is going to be uh, probably one of the biggest impacts we've seen on the sport. And even at Suzuka, uh, we had the Red Bulls lagging behind and qualifying because they're running so many turns flat out that the power differential is that obvious. In other words, you can't make a clever engine but not quite as powerful and, and keep up in different ways with a more powerful engine but maybe not quite as clever in other ways. And I think it would be great for the sport to get back to that point. Yeah, and we've had a sticking plaster because it's been building this way, obviously, as people get better and better at aerodynamics. And they've kind of given this aero industry that's built up around Formula One free reign. But what we did have is we had the chocolate tires uh, a little while back, which acted as a sticking plaster because you would get huge deltas with the chocolate tires. And because you were getting three or four lap stints, you'd get someone out on the soft tire that was... Uh, new against somebody on a slightly harder tire that was old and you'd have huge deltas and people passing and swapping and that really disguised the problem we were having with increasing aero now they've come under pressure to have these harder tires and we've got one maybe two stops it's really highlighted this season how much the, the aero is is affecting us but i think that might have been there for a while yeah as you say well first of all chocolate tires sound amazing i, I want to get me a chocolate tire if you can point me in a direction spanners please do um, and of course we're also very reliant on drs now as well so you don't just need a tire advantage you need the drs to allow you to get close enough on the straight and half the time overtake before the braking zone arrows needed to be fixed for a while i think the thing is is formula one needs to be the fastest i think we can all agree with that and it needs to be significantly faster and more exciting than f2 or formula 3 or whatever if they cut down on aero and simplify it, as they did in 2009, actually the cars do become more difficult to drive because the cars aren't glued to the ground, but they become slower. So what they need to do is maintain a competitive speed and look incredible to watch. But also, when you watch a Formula 1 car now in the wet and the driver's hands are shaking, they're making so many corrections at the steering wheel. It needs to be like that in the dry, like it used to be, but they still need to be quick. It's this really difficult balance. Did you watch the 2001 Malaysia race, Anil, and you see how many corrections they had to make all throughout the race? Oh, it was amazing. You see it on board and you just get scared. You're just thinking to the drivers like, 
what are you doing? You know, I saw a f- by modern standards, you panic. <laughs> I, I saw footage of um, it was like a Senna lap in like the late eighties going around Portugal in the dry, and he's having to make so many corrections, and it it looks terrifying. Whereas, you know, I was at Silverstone when Hamilton did that incredible pole lap, but then I watched it on board, and I felt, ah, you know, it, it it's a rocket, but at the same, I'm sure it was physically demanding, but. Yeah, I want to see them really fight the steering wheel. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Apparently, well, there were certainly some rumours, and I know Matt wants to talk about this, that Ross Braun and his chums have got some uh, cars in the wind tunnel. So they're actually, for the first time ever, they're actually coming up with a proper set of regulations. They're not just saying, we'll do this and we'll do that. But Ferrari have said, we need to do this because they want it. And Red Bull are saying this. They're actually coming up with a proper set of regulations that would allow for racing. Um, and they're just going to give it to the teams and say... Get on with it. It works. Yeah. And I think you're referring to those uh, two mysteriously bought manor cars when all of their goods were auctioned off. Now, no doubt, sitting in a wind tunnel in an undisclosed location and even better, being run on an actual track with different solutions to figure out what really works and what really doesn't. And now I will say I have no confirmation of this. Just going to put it out there. But we sure all hope that's exactly what's happening. And yeah, it, it was that mysterious R. Braun that purchased them. I wonder who that could have been. Uh, no idea. No idea. But this maybe isn't even of all the big news we've had. And, and let's admit, there will be some problems. If the fuel flow goes up and there's more fuel, the cars weigh more. So weight is still an issue, right? I mean, th- there's still going to be problems to solve. But on the whole, this is, seems to me to be incredibly exciting for the sport, but it's not even maybe the biggest news of all, because the biggest news of all is about a week after we get the official lowdown on this, we're going to get the official lowdown on cost control. Yeah, th- so this is pretty amazing, because when I started watching Formula One in the late 90s, 2000s, it was when all the manufacturers were fl- um, coming to Formula One, they were spending so much money. And it's always been a very expensive sport. They toyed with the idea of a budget cap in 2009, which is when we got three new teams who signed up for a 40 million euro a year deal, which never happened. And they they performed terribly because they couldn't afford to compete. I think it's needed. I definitely think it's needed. And I think if you told Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari, you know, if you spend $50 million less a year, all of you, and your cars are only half a second slower, would you take it? Of course, the answer is going to be yes. The question is, how do you make sure that everyone else isn't spending? How do you monitor it? A budget cap's a great idea in principle, and it will certainly make the sport better. It will make it easier for new teams to come in, but I'm, I'm not quite sure how you stop Team A from spending more than Team B. Like, how, how, What if you get around that loophole? Well, I think the answer is, at least at first, they're planning to put observers into the actual teams, as in they're going to basically take someone who's an accountant and stick them in the team and keep an eye on the books, just keep an eye on what's going on. That that would that right, would well, be. Well, at this point, I need to say I am very capable on Excel and I can use a calculator. So if any teams are listening, please get in touch. Uh, from, from what I've read as well, this is supposed to be a very gradual budget cap. So it's not like what Max Mosley tried to enforce in 2009, 2010, which was the next year, you're only spending this much. Actually, this is much more calculated and they're going to go down bit by bit. So teams aren't suddenly shrinking, getting rid of staff. Uh, if they did that, I think Force India would be delighted because they're so lean and efficient already. They'd probably do quite well. Uh, it looks like it's going to be very, very gradual. And I guess the most difficult task for Ross Braun is to somehow convince all the teams that the budget cap enforcement will be watertight and that no one's going to get around it. But this is a great idea. And to be honest, it's they've needed to do it for a very long time. Yeah, and it's because we can look to other sports and see the same model and see the same things applies. The teams that spend the most win the most. And that makes the sport boring to watch. There has to be they have to there has to be a level enough playing field that your underdogs will have a chance because this is what will make people tune in week after week and month after month to see what happens. And let's think about when Red Bull was winning all the championships, what did we all hear about? Oh, it's so boring. When Mercedes was winning all the championships with certain exceptions possibly here on the panel, what did we hear about all the time? Oh, it's boring. And I'll admit it, even if you like Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes at a certain point, you'd like to see something other than 
like the battle between Sauber and Manor for the last championship point being the only interesting thing on the track. And this is the way to get it done. Yeah, there is this very, I guess there's an old school thought from some people, which is, well, Formula One's always been expensive. It's always been like this, so we shouldn't change it. But actually, that doesn't make it good. <laughs> you know, it was expensive during Schumacher's reign, but did that make those races incredible? Of course it didn't. And I actually think from an engineering perspective, it becomes, and I'd love to know what Spanner thinks on this, actually, being more of an engineer than myself, but if you put everyone on, level, on more of a level playing field, it means that engineers can come up with more creative solutions. At least that's what it's in my head. Because at the moment, it's only really the top teams that really invest in all these really kind of clever, unique loopholes and really interesting ideas because they've got the money to hire enough people to do it. Actually, I like the idea of someone like Force India or Sauber coming up with a solution that actually thinks around the box and you know beats a Ferrari. Maybe they don't beat Ferrari every race, but maybe the chance of them getting ahead of a top team are a bit more common. In the past, we've relied on Mickey Mouse tires or chocolate tires, as Spanners calls them. And we saw in 2012, we have seven different winners in the first seven races that year. That shouldn't happen every year, but it's great. It's great news for the sport. Well, firstly, I'd like to say that I'm not a design engineer. My job is to come along afterwards and then patronize people that are much more intelligent than me and had a better education to make myself feel better. But yeah, you know, obviously you're right. But with a level playing field, what you do is you end up having the law of diminishing returns and you just shovel people off into ever more intricate little uh, little things like stegosaurus type teeth on the wing. Now, you're you're not necessarily going to cut costs that way by making it a level playing field because people will find things to spend money on the money is in manpower so if you've still committed to having that amount of manpower finding ever smaller gains it still costs the same it does very good point and that's why you're an engineer and and not me but i guess some of this also uh, as you touched on the term diminishing returns i guess a lot of it also comes down to how wide the development scope is under the new set of regulations. Because if you simplify the regs or the era regulations, then you would surely hit the law of diminishing returns earlier. Whereas if you've got a very wide set of regulations where there's yes. a lot less limitations, then, you know, so um, I guess a lot of that comes down to how big the rule book is as well. Uh, they often say that the reg books now is like a hundred pages long. It used to be like five. It used to say, your car needs four tires and it needs an engine. So I guess I, I guess that's the challenge because it needs to be an engineering challenge. It didn't even limit it to four tires. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. To be honest, I think there was, you know, full-on articulated lorries on the track at one point. And as Shushmit in the chat room says, you know, why not make the pay more equal like they do in the Premier League? And, you know, we're hoping that, you know, Ferrari are going to lose their golden status. And, and maybe the tiering for the positions could be sorted out. But what you don't want to do is reduce competitiveness like you do in a lot of franchise sports. Right. And that's the balance they're going to try and make happen. They want to reduce the cost so that teams will join so that you can manage some churn. 
and the sport stays viable. They also want closer racing so that the the product itself is will will be more appealing to sponsors and will be more sellable overall. And they still need to keep the stakeholders they currently have happy. And and, and I know Philip Allen was uh, making the point a little bit earlier about engine costs, talking about the OEMs making engines at a loss and not saving money, uh, not not huge savings on the spec parts. But the thing is, the reason they want to keep these parts and these engines is there's a lot of brand equity in them, and they've not necessarily made their money back in advertising in the way that they would have liked. This is why I think you saw all the manufacturers saying, no, we don't want to ditch the engines that we've sunk all this research and development money into. But at the same token, in order to make it more affordable, we don't want to have to continue to invest the amounts of money we're having to invest to continue uh, constantly developing the engines. And let's not forget the breaking of the homologation, thanks to uh, someone leaving a date off in the regulation somewhere, uh, has essentially meant that we've gone back to an era of nonstop engine development. How many different versions of Ferrari are we talking about? Four over a single season. How many were there supposed to be? One. So everybody has been sandbagged by by the regulations as they have played out in the real world. And one could only hope that uh, the body in charge of writing these regulations tears up everything that's there, starts over from scratch, and, and hires a couple of good lawyers, proofreaders, and copy editors to make sure they don't leave anything out and leave these sorts of loopholes. Just the chat room quickly, Anil, before you get in. Survey, Surveyor Tom says they could save money by reducing telemetry by about 99%. Less data equals fewer engineers and a smaller budget, plus driver feedback suddenly more important. You also have to remember, though, we can't do that very quickly. A, a whole industry has been built up around how complicated it is to run a Formula One team. Uh, Philip Allen talking about potential 2020 rules. They have been leaked today, apparently, uh, and the details will be out on the 31st of October. Mike Dawes says, look at NASCAR. They went that route. It's awful. Cost caps kill innovation. Much the point that I think Anil was driving towards. Well, I remember a press conference years ago, and I think it was um, possibly back when we still had Lotus, uh, before they became Renault. And, and, and one of the team principals made the point that you should, before you're allowed to implement a development, you should be able to prove that it met a certain cost efficiency. In other words, that if you spent $175,000 and shaved one one-thousandth of a second off your lap time, this ratio would not meet that. On the other hand, if you spent the same amount of money and you shaved three-tenths off, then that might be acceptable. And I think this is what this is what they're trying to get it towards. They're trying to get everyone into a bucket where they have to make smart choices and where efficiency, not necessarily on the car, but in the entire process is going to be a differentiator in the championship. So working for a blue chip type engineering firm, that in principle sounds fantastic, but it has to be managed. And in a corporation, the way it's managed is with armies of business managers who track your time and your cost and everything becomes about tracking your hours versus and manpower. And then you also have to track somehow you have to quantify that gain. Is that gain over the course of a season? Is it in the wind tunnel? Is it on test tracks, which we don't have anymore? And don't underestimate the weight of that bureaucracy on a relatively small outfit. I mean, how many do Mercedes have? 300? Or even, even if it's, uh, you know, several hundred adding that many accountants basically is you know not to be scoffed at no I, I i i'm sorry maybe i didn't make myself clear it wasn't the teams would add that many accountants it was that the idea that suggestion that but but that the reality no, of no, your budget have to monitor it what i'm saying is you'd have yeah. to monitor it after the fact and to monitor it would involve really really tight time management and manpower accounting so i'm just saying that would add quite a significant burden especially to small teams yeah, I'm going to try one more time because I don't think I made myself clear. I was using it as an example of what they wanted, um, what I, for lack of better words, capitalist concerns, i.e. my budget is only this much. I can't afford to pursue every 1,000th innovation. 
I need to choose the ones that will bring me the most for the least. But rather rather than have an army of accountants insist on it, that you prove it to them, simply your budget demands that you run your, your company that way. So you're creating more areas where the teams with more budget can stretch their legs. Uh, but with cost caps, that gap is narrowed artificially so that a clever small team should be able to compete with a mediocre big team. Do you see what I'm saying? If it wasn't for the fact that they then had to account for all their time to keep in line with the cost cap. I see what you're saying, but I've, I've seen this roundabout and I've seen this game and I've seen engineering managers tearing their hair out because they spend 10 hours a week uh, with this business accounts manager. But anyway, but I, I get what you're saying. I do. I promise. As far as anyone knows. The final point I want to make on all of this is actually that the same article said that the FIA and FOM want to they want to get rid of all these kind of lengthy arguments between the teams to try and sort the regulations out. So not only will the strategy group no longer exist, but once they publish these regulations, changes can be requested, but only if reasons are if actual reasons are provided. I do think we're going to kind of enter this new era where the rules are laid down and you just get on with it. There's going to be no more of this to and from and oh, but he's he, they want this and they want that. I think Ross Braun is going to be very firm and very fair and say this is what's going. This is what it's going to be like going forward. These are the reasons why. And Liberty Media, they know how to promote a sport. They're going to make it epic. And it's up for the teams. It's up to the teams that they want to join that journey. And I do think they will, even if there might be a bit of, um, you know, or I, even if the teams aren't 100% happy with some of the standardized parts, I think they're going to stick to it, especially if the costs come lower. I mean, the option as well exists to not have cost caps because as Baha says in the chat room, you can't cap F1. It's impossible. I tend to agree a little bit. You just go the other way and you just attract more and more money like some strange, fantastical Ponzi scheme until it collapses. But it'll be fun on the way to collapse. And we'll just pick ourselves up, brush ourselves off again. And someone will always want to come into Formula One with a big boatload of cash. Yep. And that's the um, Formula One will no longer be the lifestyles of the rich and famous sport that it was when we had tobacco companies and basically corporations with so much money, they literally were wandering around with wheelbarrows trying to give it away to anything that they could vaguely justify. What do I like? Golf. Here, have billions of dollars. Can I come to your tournament now? What do I like? Motorsports. Here, have billions of dollars. Can I prance around in your paddock? Yes. Thank you very much. This is not the way of the world anymore. Here's a, fi- a flaming 50 to light your Cuban cigar. Indeed. I just The world does not work like that anymore. And Formula One is is on the first steps to, I hope, successfully adapting to that world. Um, so, I don't know. Anil, do you have anything else that you want to talk about uh, regarding today's news? No, nothing else apart from this is exactly what I and loads of other Formula One fans have wanted for such a long time. And I just wish the current grid of drivers, all of them, well, maybe not Massa because he's passed it, but I wish they were all going to have a chance to compete with these cars. You know, I want to see Hamilton, Verstappen, Ricardo, Alonso with these new engines and these new regs. But oh, well, hopefully they're still around. Um, I need to make a disappearance. But there was one other piece of news that came out today and that's that michael buffer the legendary boxing announcer you know let's get ready to rumble is going to be doing the intros for every driver at cota so every driver will make have their own introduction to the grid which i think is just a brilliant idea it's yeah. absolutely amazing and i've got goosebumps just thinking about it because i i remember him from wcw um or you know re- wrestling as i used to watch as a kid and he was fantastic and i think it's one of those really unique things that formula one doesn't do and you go to a grand prix and the, the you don't really see the drivers before the race because they're they all their mechanics around them what a great way of you know bringing in the fans and creating some positivity around the drivers and the names and the sport i absolutely agree with you anil and, and if you have to go uh, please feel free to dip off thank you for your time and we hope to see you on a race review come and join me for the austin race review when i'm back i might have to thank you very much cheers guys Matt, I agree with Anil. I like a bit of razzmatazz. I'm a bit of an uh, America file more than a Brit in that regard. To have a bit of pomp and a bit of show, I don't think it does any harm. Let's make a big deal out of it. We don't need the British stiff upper lip. Oh, it's a racing event and that's good enough. I think why not have announcers, have fireworks, have a party going on on the grid and then settle down to the race. It, it's, it's all good. There's, what harm does it do? It does. Not only does it not do any harm, 
it's actually brilliant. Michael uh, Buffer from boxing, from wrestling, he's a celebrity in his own right. There are potentially people who would never watch Formula One who might now turn it on just to see him do his shtick. Uh, and he's been in movies too. Let's not forget. Um, and this is part of the cleverness. Uh, I think Liberty is starting to try and weave together um, these disparate strands to find new converts to the sport. They're trying to do it through the musicians they program at the concerts, how they support the tracks, how they promote. And, and again, we can go back to like, there was maybe one person in the promotions office when Liberty took over and 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 liberty like this should, they they should have 50 people in this office i mean this is what yep. bec- because of how the model they used to make their money this aspect has been completely neglected and if liberty are pros at anything with Sean Bratches they're going to be pros at this aspect of the sport making the big spectacle out of it you know, everyone laughed and they said we want a super bowl level event for every grand prix but you know what they're starting to make it happen, and I guarantee you is going to be quite the party in Austin. We, we have to fight as Brits against this feeling that we shouldn't make an awful fuss. And even when they do the grid and, you know, they've got the pictures of the drivers and then they sort of straighten up a little bit and cross their arms and look at the screen. Like, people mock that. If you go on, like, Sky F1's Facebook page, and I don't advise anyone to actually do that, you'll see people mocking that. And you go, why, you know? It's if you step out of your comfort zone, it, people will shoot you down. But I want to see these guys being made into superstars. You know, why not have them running through a, a bit of paper like they do in American football? Th- these guys are giants. They provide us so much entertainment. They've worked very hard or their dads have worked very hard to get them there. Let's make a huge deal out of it. Let's celebrate these guys. Yeah, make it part of the sport. Have them start at the wrong end of the start, finish straight and smoke up the joint on their way down to the grid spot, have them hop out, whip off their helmet and their Hans device. Fireworks go off, cheerleaders everywhere. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, 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 let's do it up. If we're going to do it, you might as well do it right. And, and it is, it's part of making the, part of what they need to sell the sport is the dramatic narrative of the drivers. I mean, and this has been what's so great about getting the cool down room footage, right? Yeah, it has been, it has been brilliant. And, and the characters that are in there, are great. So Daniel Ricciardo is turning himself into the most marketable person in motorsport. And you only have to see that he is trying to do that and he would welcome that. Nick in Lewis Hamilton's phone, chatting away in the press conference, always in those um, pen interviews, he treats that as much of an event as he does the race. He's always coming up with interesting uh, answers. He, he, has a, he has quite an abstract humour, an almost Monty Python uh, mixed with a jackass kind of humor and he's he's making an effort and he's trying to do that let's not shoot those guys down when they do it let's encourage it yeah and and hopefully it won't become nfl like in which any demonstration or fun will be punished i mean we did see that remember the donuts they, they wrote yeah. a special uh, regulation they, they wrote a special regulation to allow the winner to engage in a victory demo i mean come on people did, really, did they prescribe a set amount of fun that you could have at the end after winning a thing. It's horrible, but it's true. They have really done this thing. They have officially permitted it so nobody gets in trouble with the stewards. But, I mean, where is your sport if you have to regulate these sorts of um, immediate dramatic expressions of passion? I mean, that's what people want to see. Michael Evers has put a comment in the chat room about that announcer. I'll try and do it justice. Let's get ready to save tires. Uh, that was that was frighteningly good. <laughs> uh, yeah, and there's people there who are saying, you know, let's make the actual racing itself a bit more aggressive and a bit more spectacular. I have liked the fact that they haven't had to save tires this year. I think it has made the racing better if we can get over that aero bump. But you know, the out and out driving of it, you can see that they are they are pushing it. We're not getting these diddling around for 15 laps before a pit stop. Yeah, and and this goes back to the arrow changes, like you said, they're going to make. I mean, it's exciting, but how much more exciting would it be if 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 the drivers were hanging half a second off of the tail of the person they were trying to pass, as everybody was busy trying to catch slides and and going into massive oversteers? And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that that's going to be the visual narrative that Formula One is looking for. Okay, so I'll ask the chat room as well, and I'll ask you. 
as Formula One fans, do you now feel that Ross Braun is looking out for the soul of Formula One in the way that we hoped he was going to? Well, I'll go ahead and answer first because the chat room is 30 seconds behind. No, we'll stoically wait here for 30 seconds and no, continue. continue. With with no display of emotion, right? Hang on. (laughs) Upper lip, stiff, check. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think think he is going to protect the integrity of the sport, but I also feel like he's not going to spare any sacred cows. He's going to also make sure the sport survives and that's what it needs. And I'm going to just go back to the, the curse thing, dropping the, the front axle curse idea because the weight penalty wasn't worth it. That's what formula one needs. Formula one needs uh, Ross Braun and his team of engineers and smart people sitting down and thinking thoughts years into the future about what really matters. And they have clearly done this. And that's what's been missing. I mean, I know we talked about not letting the teams go and say, oh, we should have this regulation or no, we should really have that regulation. Why have they done that? Because basically Charlie Whiting is it. He's like the, he writes regulations on napkins and there you go. You're done for next year. He's been doing it a long time. It worked a long time, but it's time for things to change. Okay, so what the chat room answered, well, before you go on to the next subject, uh, Mr. Mondal says, yes, he is. Uh, Manolo, winner of Comment of the Week for the race review last weekend. Bring back the noise. No, noise is waste energy, Manolo. Uh, MIC says, no idea. R to me suggests he's trying to shake things up, which is cool. And Philip Allen says he is trying but the engine changes need to remove the hybrid technology and MGUKs, et cetera. Light cars, lower costs, noisy. Phil, when, may I call you Phil? We're not going to go back to that. We're not going to go back to souped-up Formula Fords. I think those days are gone. Having electrical energy is part of day-to-day life now on the roads. It is. And like it or not, uh, the current manufacturers have invested so much in this generation of engines that if you ditched them for a bog simple twin turbo v6 they'd all probably just walk off and not come back for a long time i don't think formula one can afford to do it from a practical point of view it has nothing to do with their business so why would mercedes come in and do an internal combustion engine are they they even making any cars that are simply running on on petrol engines Mm, no and all their hyper cars all their halo cars are using basically the technology in fact their latest hyper car meant to compete with the Aston Martin that Newey is doing, uh, makes a very big deal out of basically using the Formula One engine or a version of it meant for a road car. Cool. Hey, this is fun, Matt, doing it your way, where we don't have to think about structure or organization or how it's going to sound, just some self-indulgent chat. Uh, I don't know what subjects you had, but I know that there was some more information coming out about Ferrari's problems and Marchioni has said a lot of stuff and we've sort of learned a little bit about, you know, their spark plugs, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the other thing that I had seen that had come out um, was basically, uh, uh, again, an article on Automotor und Sport because I was there for the one thing I saw the other thing. Uh, but the thing that happened, and it was Mercedes, this really interested me. Um, they still don't quite understand what's happening with the tires and why Lewis lost performance. Because on the soft tires, which should have the wider window, and despite the temperature going down um, to 39 degrees from 46 at the start, the Mercedes said they actually had much better performance on the super softs and much worse on the softs than they expected. So to me, that says, although they sort of figured it out and the weather worked out for them at Suzuka, I, I think there's still some, uh, still some work to be done. That it looked better than it might have actually been for them, just the way oh, the yeah. race played out. Oh, Ferrari have spared their blushes, absolutely no doubt, which, are, which is why I think that's definitely the reason no one in Mercedes is jumping up and down and whooping, because there's four races to go, and we could very well have four races where uh, it's clear they don't get the setup, they don't get the tyres in the window, and Ferrari end up with the better race car weekend after weekend, and then you're talking seven times four, well, that's 20... 14 times 28 so that's 28 after out of the 59 point lead and then you only need a red bull to interrupt kimmy to have a spark of 2007 and and that points gap goes out and out and out and then one dnf blows everything out of the water yeah so it is far it's it's not going to be done 
until the point to lead is insurmountable. And, and that's when you can really say. But up until then, uh, Formula One can be a very unpredictable sport. And we've seen it been so in the past. Uh, yeah. I, I found it interesting, though, because my job is a lot to do with repairability, maintainability for future systems. Interesting that Mercedes were able to change their spark plug in 30 minutes. And I can't remember whether we covered this on the race review. I know you said that Mercedes had a different spark, a, a similar spark plug issue that was also caused by uh, the oil burning changes regulations. You said that at length and I listened back and now I understand it. But what interested me was Mercedes could change theirs in 30 minutes, whereas Ferrari had buried theirs deep and it was very hard to get hold of and repair. Yeah. And the interesting note to that, I mean, first of all, I missed the Mercedes 30 minutes thing, but that's mm. that's excellent that they did it. I know it showed up in Park for me on, on the sheet they put out of all the parts changed. And you're allowed mm. to do that. It's like for like. But the thing about the Ferrari is the spark plug was buried under a whole bunch of extra brand new cooling ducts, I believe, that they installed because on the spec four engine, they're only burning nine tenths of a liter per hundred uh, instead of 1.2 liters. And does it make that much of a difference? I don't know. Maybe they would have gone with that much cooling anyway, because Malaysia, Suzuka, Singapore, hot, humid. But you just, again, got to wonder if Mercedes has just been on it for longer and they're able to think a little further ahead. They're not under as much pressure. They're not under as much pressure, but I, I bet anything, and somebody, please, who's listening in the paddock, leak this to me. I promise I won't tell anyone else. I bet you Mercedes and Red Bull have dedicated supportability, repairability, maintainability engineers who, when designers are building things, they say, stop, you'll never fix that over the course of a weekend. Put it here so it's uh, I can reach it with a spanner, make it the same tool that I use to do those things there uh, and make it so that when I pull those up, those things off, there's no glues or anything I have to worry about. I guarantee Mercedes and Red Bull do that. I'm not so sure Ferrari concentrate on that kind of thing. And that can be the difference over a race weekend of getting a car out, getting a, a problem fixed and diagnosed, or having two retirements. Oh, it's not my mic. Sorry. It's not my show. Who cares? Jeansy. Oh, the spirit of Jeansy has inhabited the podcast. <laughs> don't tell him he won't listen to this. There's no way. Sorry, everyone. Um, I'll bet that Ferrari don't have that. And that leads to two retirements in a row. Yeah, it, it that that makes uh, that's a brilliant hypothesis. We should actually see if we can find someone to confirm it or deny it or refuse to comment on it, so we can recklessly promote it every place we like. Um, Just engineering. Uh, the, oh, yeah. the other thing that occurs to me, and I want to go back uh, to when we first started hearing about oil burning. Uh, it was Mercedes, right? That was the initial target of all of these rumors back at the beginning of the season when we first started hearing yeah. about it. And then Mercedes turned on Ferrari. And I just wonder if I was on the wall at Mercedes when these articles started coming out, if someone just said to whoever, um, whoever was at um, Bricksworth, you know, maybe you should give half a thought to making sure this engine can run with less oil than we're currently burning. And it might be the same guy. It might be that same guy who's appreciating how these things not only run in the lab, not only run when everything's going well, but run when the rules change, run when the conditions change, run when things that you don't expect to fail, fail. I have so many meetings with design engineers who say things like, it's okay, that's designed to last 25 years. And I say, oh, well then, I'll just pack up my drawer and play golf for the rest of the afternoon. I'm clearly not needed. No, that component will fail at some point. What are we going to do when that fails? And Merck will have someone who does that. Yep. And, and that's, again, you know, when you get down to making the difference in championships, sorry, I'm trying to paste a comment here and it is not working. Sad. Is it like a really funny chat room comment? Because yes, normally, it is. Like the tech shows, the chat room comments reflect that of the hosts, you uh, and Summers. I, I've been, I've been very busy. I've stuck it in the Skype chat instead. I've been very busy and not watching it all. So now I have a comment of the mm -hmm. week for you. We have a scarily informed and intelligent audience, and I would say maybe even more so for the for the tech time, for the tech time ones. I don't want to offend the the race review type audience, but uh, these guys they know their stuff. Yeah, they do, and they oftentimes correct us, which believe it or not, we appreciate because we do want to get the right stuff out there. So if we misremember <laughs> something or say it incorrectly by accident, because of course we knew that anyway, then uh, we appreciate it very much. You uh, giving us your input. 
So I don't know. Shall we wrap it up here? Or yeah, we... I think I, I got my bit out. I really wanted to talk about, you know, the different kinds of engineering that make up a winning team. It's not all about just pushing for the last 10th. There's a lot of tactics going on behind the scenes. And it would be great if we knew more about it. Because I know people like Summers, people like Mark Priestley, people like Craig, some, um, Craig Scarborough do a great job communicating it but they don't have the equivalent of Lewis Hamilton and Daniel Ricciardo in the engineering world coming out and going, oh, yeah, yeah, I really was up against it, and I, I tried to hit it with the hammer, but the DRS flap, it, it stayed closed. You know, if only uh, Jinxie over there had put that bolt on properly, we could have just got some duct tape around it. Oh, madness. You know, I want those interviews because that's as much of the sport as the driving side. Yeah, well, and maybe this will be one of the changes that we see because right now, as you know, it can be perilously hard to get anyone from a Formula One team to talk to you. And even the drivers after the races are are minded by press officers that literally record every single word they say. And I've, I've seen, and it might even have been Joe, Joe Saywood pointing out that that's hardly the way to get them to say things that make for interesting stories. Absolutely not. And just from a technical point of view, when we record this, when it's trumpets time, you're recording it at your end. So my mic is going to sound different but you hear how fantastic Matt sounds at his end and how expensive his setup is. So I'm glad people get to see it when you're recording it and you're hosting the Skype, et cetera. Yes, I know. I, I'm, I, I keep on hoping for that uh, unicorn solution that lets us all give our best sound and put it into a show. But I have, I have yet to be convinced by anything I've seen in the real world, I will be honest. No one email me and um, suggest local recording. Yes, I trust Matt to do a local recording and send it to me in a timely fashion, but Jeansy, Sparkles, Summers, come on, guys. It's a recipe for disaster. Indeed, it is. And that, I believe, brings us to the end of Trumpet's Time. Where can we catch up with you, Spanners? Oh, at Spanners Ready on Twitter. That's where I like to hang out. Of course, you can support us, MissedApexPodcast.com forward slash support and a, a big shout out to the patrons who support us in our slack group and just kind of light up our days and entertain us throughout the days Matt. um so a big shout out to them and these guys step forward and help us in so many ways we've got a guy now who is like my website fairy and, and i mean that only in the the, the the meaning of saying he comes around and cleans up my website i'm very tired at the end of a podcast put stuff up on the web, website by the time I wake up on Monday morning, he's come in, swept it up and made it look beautiful. And I know people were complaining that I didn't get the YouTube videos up in time. I've got Steve Amy from Australia, mate. He's in the office at eight o'clock in the morning at the time we finish the live stream. So he's just like, yeah, no bother. I'll just sit here and, and cut the YouTube and then post it out. So the support we're getting monetarily is fantastic. The support we're getting with work is fantastic. And the moral support we're getting is incredible. Yeah, it's, it's been remarkable to see the community come together and offer up their skills in support of this uh, project. And that's what it is. This is a community-based project. And we do it, yeah, because we love it. And yeah, because some of us might have insatiable egos. But also... Hey, I resemble that remark. <laughs> but also... Every, look at me. Look at me, I'm a spanner. Everybody, oh, but we also do it. Uh, that was that was that was my sad imitation of you. But we also do it because we get the feedback from you and because you tell us how much you appreciate the the work that we put into it. And that just that just drives us on to do an even better job. All right, let's go. This is all self-indulgent. Let's get out of here. Play your jazzy jazzy jazz jazz. And remember, Wounds call scars, chicks dig heels, and glory is a fungible concept under certain philosophical precepts. Mine's better. Well, yeah, I just, uh, I, I couldn't really come up with anything, so I just rewrote yours to be vaguely silly. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, uh, we'll stop, stop both our recordings there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I know there's something to be said. But Matt, you are very stupid, and you've teased me for this a lot of times. You have forgotten. Comment of the week. Yeah, I pretty much did. I put it right there, and then I got entirely distracted. See, uh, it happens. It does. It does. But that's okay, because we do have a comment of the week, and it has to go to Artemy EX. 
I wonder if we can have iFixit rate the repairability of F1 cars. Comment of the week. In your defense, Matt, normally on my shows, you get the comment of the week ready. Uh, so I should have been there getting it ready for you. Nah, it's okay. We, we, we were a bit short staffed today, so it kind of is what it is. But I'm sure the listeners will forgive at least one of us occasionally. Sometimes. Indeed. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.